0: Well, welcome. We're glad you're here. You made it through the snow and the ice and the blackouts and all of those kinds of things to be here on Valentine's Day. So welcome. I'm glad my Valentine is here today. Two weeks from today, we celebrate our 52nd anniversary. So yay! Woo! <laughs> so thankful for my valentine so thankful that God loves us in an amazing way. I want to begin this morning just by reading a passage of scripture about God's amazing love. From 1 John the 4th chapter and the 10th verse, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for sins. It's God's gift God's direction God's initiative and all he asks of us is that we trust him and accept this amazing gift our sins are forgiven and he goes with us each step even unto eternity how good is God amen these past few weeks we have been looking at what we call God's story God's story And it has tracked through the Old Testament and and seen how God has been faithful to the Israelites all along the way. As we turned into the new year, we looked at the book of Exodus and God leading the children of Israel out of Egypt through Moses' leadership. God performed many miracles. Many things that finally caused the Pharaoh, to let the children of Israel go. But even as they went, he pursued them. We saw that there was a Red Sea. Not a problem to God. He parted it. And as they went through the wilderness, he led them, he fed them, he watered them, he did everything that he could do for them. And after a while, they finally got to the Edge of the promised land, the land that had been promised to Abraham and to his son Isaac and to his son Jacob, all of those promises they're about ready to finally enter this promised land. Pastor Dave called it a defining moment, a moment in which they needed to trust God and remember what He had done, but they didn't. They didn't. The people in the land seemed too big, and the problems too many. And so they said, we can't do it. And so God said, you're going to spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness till all those people who are part of this generation are gone. And then a new generation is going to get that opportunity again. And last week, Pastor Jenna talked to us about obedience, getting to that point again and obeying God under the leadership now of Joshua to enter the promised land. And they went in. There were obstacles. Jericho, God gave them a plan, though, a plan that seems kind of odd. Walk around, blow some trumpets, shout, but the walls came down. And so they entered the promised land. This week, we moved to the next book of the Bible after Joshua, and it's called Judges. Judges. So it's not a book about courtroom drama. It was about courtroom drama. We need Pastor Dave here to fill us in on all those things. But it's a time when the children of Israel are in the promised land. It's been divided up. They have all of their different different areas. But they forget about God. They worship the idols. And God allows foreign people to come in and oppress them. Till they finally call out to God for help. And then God raises up a person that they call a judge. Now there were many judge, Barak, Ehud, Jephthah, Deborah, Samson, and this morning we're going to talk about Gideon. He's going to show us how the judge worked, but what God did more importantly in the heart of the judge to lead the children of Israel. So in Judges, the sixth chapter, beginning reading in verse one, we see the situation and what's happened. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock." And their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midians so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And this is the pattern. This is the pattern that happens throughout the book of Judges. And in this particular time, the Midianites have come in. And they, they have just completely sent the Israelites up into caves, hiding places for fear. For seven years, this goes on. They cry out to God for help. And God sends an angel to a man whose name is Gideon. Over in the 12th verse. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I think Gideon was thinking, I wonder who you're talking to. I look around. I don't see a mighty warrior. It's kind of like Maybe as growing up, you heard somebody call out something that you thought was somebody else, and you look for that person. My dad was a pastor. And so whenever I hear somebody come up behind me and say, Pastor Larson, I look around and think, hey, maybe my dad's in town. Call me Pastor Mark, call me Mark. Pastor Larson's my dad. So you look around and you say, I wonder who he's talking to. I wonder what's going on. Shocked warrior, not mighty warrior, shocked warrior. Verse 14 says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. Shocked warrior, not exactly mighty warrior. And I think this is the stage where you'd say, Gideon is the reluctant warrior. Okay, I get it, you're talking to me. But do you have the right guy? Manasseh is the weakest of the clans. And I'm the weakest in the weakest clan. So if the weakest link impacts the whole of the chain, you got the wrong guy. Reluctant. Wondering if God has got it right. So then this reluctant warrior says, give me a sign. Give me a sign. And the Lord, in his graciousness and his patience, gives him a sign. Matter of fact, he's going to give him three signs. The first sign, Gideon says, Before you go, let me prepare an offering for you. So he goes in and he prepares some meat and some broth and a loaf of bread. And he brings it out to the angel. And the angel says, Put it on that rock over there. So he puts it on the rock. The angel reaches his staff out and touches the rock and flame shoots up and consumes the sacrifice. And then the angel disappears. Now I call that a pretty powerful sign. You almost want to say, jump up and down and say, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. But Gideon needs some more help. So in the course of time, as Gideon is gathering this army. He comes to God again and he says, if it's not too much to ask, if it's not too much to ask, could you give me another sign? Another sign. Not enough that you sent an angel, not enough that the angel consumed the sacrifice, not enough that the angel disappeared in my sight, but could you give me just one more sign? He says, there's a fleece here. I'm going to put the fleece out, and God, if, if in the morning, all the ground around it is dry, but the fleece is wet, then I'll know, then I'll know. So he gets up in the, early in the morning, runs out to check his fleece, the fleece is wet, he wrings it out, it fills a whole bowl of water. But then he says, God, could I just have one more sign? The reluctant warrior? The angel, the sacrifice, the disappearance of the angel, and now the fleece. He says, okay, now if I take that same fleece and put it out tonight, tonight, when I check in the morning, if all the ground around it is wet, but the fleece is dry, then I'll know. And that's what happens. That's what happens. The third sign. That's what happens. Gideon gathers his army. But God has some more, I guess you could say, winnowing work to do in Gideon's life. The shocked warrior, the reluctant warrior. And now God is going to transform that warrior into that mighty faithful warrior. So God comes to him and tells him he wants to do some things with his army. He's gathered 32,000 people. 32,000 people to go and battle the Midianites. But here's what God tells him. Judges chapter 7. The Lord said to Gideon, and these aren't exactly the words that you'd want to hear after you've gathered 32,000 people. You have too many men for me to deliver the Midian into, in, too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So you got 32,000 people. God just sent 22,000 home. You don't really hear about this when you hear about military strategy. Usually it's about gather more troops, gather more, gather more, gather more. Build up the force. But God says, I don't want you to think that it's your strength or your might. I want you to learn to trust me. Against all odds, I want you to trust me. But then God goes on. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. And if I'm Gideon, I'm thinking, 32,000, lost 22, I got 10. I wonder how many God is going to take this time. How many am I going to be left with? God has this little plan. I don't have a slide for this, but I just want you to listen to it. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lapped the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. 32,000 to 22,000, to 300. 300. 300. That's all I've got left. But God wants Gideon to understand, and therefore the whole Israelites to understand, that the victory does not come because they're great, they're powerful, their weapons are mighty, but because God is mighty. God is powerful. So he sends them down to the water. Most of the people just get down on their hands and knees and stick their face into the water and start lapping it like a dog. But there are some that just kind of reach down and scoop some water up. 300 of those guys. And if I was Gideon and I knew the story and I knew what God was looking for, I'd say, guys, don't do that. Don't do that. This is how you do it. But God says, now we've got our 300 now I'm going to deliver the Midianites into your hand. From shocked warrior to the warrior who is asking all the questions. Now becoming the faithful warrior. But because God is patient, God comes to, Midi- God comes to Gideon one more time. Because God knows our hearts. There's a lot of people on the outside can look at us, they can think they know what's going on, but God knows our hearts. And so he comes to Gideon one more time. He's going to give him one more sign. Gideon didn't even ask for it, but God knows Gideon's heart and he says, Gideon, if you're still afraid, if you're still afraid, he hasn't quite graduated into faithful warrior stage yet, if you're still afraid, I want you to go down to the camp of Midian and listen to what they say. So Gideon and his servant go down and they, they listen to what's being said in the camp. And one person in the camp is talking to another person and says, I had a dream. And my dream was this this giant loaf of bread came tumbling into the camp and knocked over the tent. And the man says, This can be none other than Gideon, who's going to come and defeat us. And so Gideon finally realizes that it's the Lord's battle. And he goes back to his people and he says, Okay, get up. The Lord has given Midian into our hands. So now look at how the battle goes. Look at verse 16. He's got his 300 people. Dividing the 300 men into three companies. He placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. No chariots, no mounted cavalry on camels, none of that. No swords, no spears, torches inside of these jars and trumpets and 300 guys. That's what you've got. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly what I do. And this is when you know that Gideon has been transformed into that mighty warrior. He's been transformed into that one who will be faithful because he tells those 300 that are left, follow me, do as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets... Then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp. At the beginning of the middle wash, just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. Midian's people surround the Gideon's people surround the Midianites. They've got their jars, they've got their torches in them, they've got their trumpets. And so they break the jars and the Midianites look up and they don't see 300 men. They just think that we are surrounded. There's probably 300 companies of men out there. They hear the trumpets and they panic and they run into each other and they destroy each other. The Lord saved Israel. The Lord saved Gideon. What an amazing experience to be saved out of that situation and to know that it wasn't because of my might or my knowledge or how good I am, but it's because the Lord is the strength of my life. I had an experience myself where I was saved out of a situation. No doubt in my mind, that the Lord saved me, saved me, saved me. It was in the Mojave Desert. While I was pastoring a church in Southern California in San Diego, I was a part of the California National Guard as a chaplain and was assigned to an armored battalion, a tank battalion, about 600 soldiers and a whole bunch of hardware. And the National Guard decided to send us out to a place called Fort Irwin for desert training. Now, Fort Irwin is near a place called Barstow, which is near nothing. The Mojave Desert is out in front of you. Fort Irwin is a huge, huge hunk of desert. And they sent us out there with all this hardware and all these men. And my job was to be their chaplain. So I would go around and I'd visit the companies, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, Delta. I'd go visit them all from time to time. And when they stopped and got out of of their tanks, I would talk to them and pray with them. We'd have services and that's how the chaplain operates in a tank battalion. Well, I was out with one of the companies and I talked too long, which is an occupational hazard. Because usually I wanted to get back to the little cluster of tents that were our headquarters tents before it got dark. Well, I didn't make it. I was talking and it got dark. And so my chaplain assistant and I thought, well, we know how long it took us to get here. We know what direction we came from. And we had been navigating through the desert because of landmarks and and uh, dry river beds and things of that nature. So you know, we just go back this way and we'll make it. Well, after we had been driving in our vehicle for as long as it took us to get out there, we realized that we didn't see any cluster of tents. So we went to the right, no tents. We went to the left, no tents. We went forward, we went backwards, we went around in circles. And now we don't know where we are going all we know is that it is dark and we're lost. So I said, my chap and assistant, well, we'll just spend the night here. And my feeble prayer to the Lord was, in the morning, Lord. This is not the faithful, mighty warrior prayer. This is the, the prayer of the person who's really learning. I said, Lord, maybe in the morning you could take me to a place and I might see something that I can find on my map. Get us out of here. So we just sit there. We sit there. All we have around us is darkness. Darkness. And all of a sudden, I see bouncing across the desert some lights. They're kind of bouncing. And then all of a sudden, I hear the sound of a truck what the army calls a deuce and a half, a big old cargo truck. And I told my chaplain, assistant, get behind that deuce wherever it's going. That's where we're spending the night. So he turns on our vehicle. We go, we get behind that big old deuce, and the dust is flying and the dirt's flying, and we don't really know where it's going, but where it's going is where we're spending the night. That deuce is going along and it makes a, a left-hand turn behind a, between a couple of smaller hills and it comes into a cluster of tents. Yay! Guess whose tent was in that cluster of tents? My tent. It took me home. There's no doubt in my mind, I was saved that night. Saved, saved, saved. Saved not because of my map reading skills, not because of my ingenuity, not because of anything I did. God sent a truck to save me, and I could only say one thing as I walked from our vehicle to my tent. I kept saying it over and over and over again, Thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! And I suppose the other people said, Well, I suppose that's what chaplains always say, but this is what I this. Thank you, Jesus. I got to my tent and I laid down on my cot, which I had been complaining about because it was so hard to be comfortable. And I said, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for this cot. It feels wonderful. Thank you for this musty tent. It smells great. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Out of that situation, there's a verse that kept coming back to me over and over and over again. A verse in John 8, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Man, I tell you, it was the best feeling in the world to be behind that deuce. But it's a much better feeling to be following the light of the world, the creator, the almighty. I don't have to live in that darkness. He's gonna take me to the light of life. Gideon was saved, he was surrounded, he was hopeless, but it was God's might that saved him. And I know that when I was out in that darkness, I didn't do anything to be saved. God saved me. So I want to take you to one more passage of scripture. That is a passage of scripture that talks about prayer. Because it guides us towards the one that saves us. It's the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is in a situation that I think you could only describe as he is surrounded by darkness. He is surrounded by his own gang of Midianites. The apostle Paul is in a Roman prison. You read the book of Philippians and it says, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He doesn't know if he's going to be released. Paul occupationally, I guess you could say, had been a church planter. He'd gone around and helped churches start and encouraged them. And now he's not going anywhere. He's in a Roman prison. So he can't do what he'd want to do. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. And he's completely dependent upon other people for any nourishment and any support that he needs. Everything has been taken away from Paul. But the book of Philippians is all about joy in the Lord. Because Paul had met the light of life on a road one day as he was traveling to Damascus, and it changed his life forever. And after that point, he followed that light of life. So I want to take you to this prayer that he gives to the Philippians. It's in the fourth chapter. And it's a kind of prayer that I would say is simple, but yet profound. It's the kind of prayer that sounds easy, but it kind of shakes you to your bones, and it leaves you where you always want to be, in the peaceful hands of God. So listen to this prayer. It starts this way: "Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Rejoice in the Lord. When we pray, we often want to start with the Midianites that are around us. We want to start with the darkness, all those situations, all those things that are out there, all of those things that have gotten into our lives. But Paul says start with the Lord. Let your prayer life start with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let your prayer life start with the one in whom we trust. trust. Rejoice in the Lord. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, how did, they, how did he say? He said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus starts with God the Father in praise and thanksgiving. Shouldn't we do that? Spend some time focusing not on the Midianites, not on the darkness, but focus on the one who can give us the victory. Focus on God. And in the Roman prison, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I don't know if I'm going to live or die. I don't know if I'm going to get out of here Everything I have is gone, but my soul is filled with joy. I can rejoice in the Lord. There's a place that I like to go to to be filled up with the goodness of God. A place that reminds me of how big God is, how great God is, how mighty God is. It's called the ocean. I go out to the ocean, put up my little Tommy Bahama chair and sit there. And look at this huge ocean. And in that ocean, there's all of these fish, there's whales. Whales that have some sort of super highway that takes them from Alaska to Maui to have babies. I don't know how they do that. There's all of these fish, all of these ecosystems. And as I look at that, the thing that I'm always come away with is God's ocean is huge, it's powerful, it's mighty, it's untamed, and it's God's creation. That's who I want to connect with. The God of the ocean. Might even say something profound like, wow, that's big. That's big. But God's big, he's powerful, he's mighty, he's awesome. He's the one who defeated the Midianites. The light of life takes us out of the darkness. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be heaven to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It sounds simple, doesn't it? Focus on God, and then bring to this mighty, awesome, powerful God our requests. But the key thing in this verse is it says, do not be anxious about anything but in everything that's the hard part do not be anxious about anything but in everything bring your request to God I would say that as we look at our lives there's something in there that we haven't let God have maybe it's Sins of the past, where we need to be reminded that 1 John tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The sins of the past, the problems of the future, whatever they might be, whatever's waiting for us out there, whatever we see out there, whether it's relational or occupational, occupational financial, whatever it is, bring it to God. Or maybe it's that that ultimate life or death situation to put it in God's hands. Sometimes we think we've done that, but there's something that we haven't been willing to say, this is yours. There's a great story in the New Testament about Jesus going to his friend Lazarus' house after Lazarus has died. His two sisters meet him, Mary and Martha, and they say all the right things, all the right things. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. That's a good thing. Jesus says, well, I'm the resurrection and the life. And they say, oh yeah, we believe that on the last day, he will rise again. They are saying all of the right things, but then... Jesus walks to the tomb and Martha says, but Jesus, here's where you say, but, and you fill in the blank. What is the thing that you don't think Jesus can handle? For Martha, it was the fact that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days and as if Jesus doesn't know what happens to decaying bodies, she fills them in. But Jesus, he's been in the tomb these days and it's not going to smell good. But Jesus says, Lazarus, Lazarus comes forth. There's something in us that doesn't want to bring that point to Jesus. But as we bring it, we lay it at his feet. The one who can heal it and give us hope and the one who can bring us the encouragement and strength that we need this prayer finishes this way. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We start with praise. Praise. We bring those things, all of them, everything, anything, lay them at Jesus' feet. And once Jesus has them at his feet, it says, then the peace of God. Let me give you my definition for the peace of God. Here's the definition. God's got it. God's got it. God's got it. This is my situation. I want to sneak it back. But no, no, God's got it. Let him have it. Don't try to sneak it back. Don't try to get a piece of it. God's got it. And when we let God have it, a certain sense of of peace comes over us. A peace that says, I know that God is with me. God is dealing with the situation. God's got it. And I can live with a certain kind of abandonment because God's got it. My wife was ICU nurse for... Lots of years. As an ICU nurse, she was with many patients whose lives were not going to be looking were, were, lives were not going to be looking ahead to years or months or days or hours, but maybe just moments. She would pray with those patients, she would talk to them about the Lord. And as those moments were drawing to a close, she always needs to check to see if there's anything that that patient would like her to do as that moment draws closer. And there's this one lady, as Mary was with her, Mary said to her, if if I hear the angel's wings, what would you like me to do? And that lady said, honey, if you hear the angel's wings, get out of the way. Just get out of the way. God's got it. The angels are coming. Jesus is waiting. God's got it. That's the kind of peace and abandonment that we live with knowing that God can handle the Gideonites. He can get me out of the dark. He can come to us in our situations and give to us hope. As we close this morning, I like to have a time of prayer. And as we pray, if there's something in your life that you want to come and lay at the feet of Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Almighty, I'll give you a time in this prayer to do that. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are the Mighty God the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Lord, you come in our lives to transform them, to make them new, to give to us a kind of life that we could only imagine. But Lord, you come to give it. We give you the praise and the honor as we look at all that you have created and all that you have done. Lord, you are mighty, mighty, mighty. So Lord, now we lay at your feet those situations of our lives that we need your help. Your hope. We need your healing. So, Lord, here they are. We lay them. They are not ours to fix, but you give the strength and you give the hope. So, Lord, we bring our lives To you, Lord, thanks for forgiveness. Lord, we wish there that we had done everything right in the past, but you come to forgive us to make us whole. You come to be our companion every step of the way as we walk each day of our lives. And Lord, we give you those, those moments. And Lord, when that day comes, when this body has run out of years and days and even moments, we know that you come and you take us to be with you forever. Lord, all of it is for your glory and your goodness. You're so good. You bless us every step of the way. And on this day, we want to praise you. We want to shout and say, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You met us. You healed us. You gave us hope. And so, Lord, on this day, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. The Midianites are gone. The light of life has come into the darkness. We are people of hope because of your goodness. In Jesus' name, in the mighty name of our Savior, amen. Let's stand and praise God. He loves us, he heals us, he gives us hope. How good it is to say thank you, Jesus, and give him the praise.